The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhorst focuses on life in and around the NBA and dives into the playoffs now. Twice a week, Wendy is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps. And that's when the fireworks really start, when the Tims are on. That's every Friday. That's The Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on ESPN's YouTube page. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Monday afternoon in Connecticut, where the NBA season is hurtling, hurtling, I say, toward its conclusion and toward the crescendo of the play-in tournament. We still have lots of interesting playoff races, even though none of them include the horrible, disastrous Hindenburg of a team, the Los Angeles Lakers. We have a 7-10 to clash for play-in positioning in the East that is very, very important and has implications for the one and two seeds in the East. Two to four in the East is up for grabs. The middle of the West, four to six, four to five, three to six is a mess. The Jazz can't beat anyone. It's all happening. But we're not going to talk too much about that today. We're going to do a little end-of-season awards. I'm, I'm making this, I'm proclaiming this an annual podcast now. This is the annual all-defense podcast with one of my favorite guests from Sports Illustrated, the author of, are you ready for this, the New York Times best-selling book about the 1990s New York Knicks, Blood in the Garden. Chris Herring, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? It's good to be with you. Appreciate you. You know, Chris, you could rob a bank. You could kill someone. You could win the lottery. No matter what you do, you will always be New York Times best-selling author, Chris Herring. New York Times best-selling author Chris Herring robbed a bank today in Midtown Manhattan. New York Times best-selling author Chris Herring broke the world record for the javelin throw unexpectedly today in Chicago. You are always going to be the New York Times best-selling author Chris Herring. Isn't that great? It is, but the way you just made it sound now, I was like, uh, it makes it sound like now I'm just more likely to get written about if uh, if I do something that goes afoul of the law. But uh, But I appreciate that. It's a pretty pretty cool feeling and i continue to to be appreciative of everybody that's supported and in your case help promote and everything it's uh you, you like i said like you said to me months ago about it being like a life-changing thing I, I i'm starting to see that more and more and i uh, i really appreciate the support did it dawn on you when you and spike lee became best friends is that when you realized this is going to change my life forever can you get a cameo <laughs> in spike lee's next movie uh i hope so um he he asked me to, and he asked a lot of folks in the media to uh, be a part of a, a Kaepernick documentary that I think will ESPN is doing. Um, and I was like, "Well, Spike, I don't even really watch the NFL. I, I stopped watching after Cap. Uh, after Cap, essentially, in my opinion, got blackballed." Um, he was like, "But you understand the issues, so got to see his studio and everything." But uh, I don't know about the the cameo in the next movie. That I think he reserves that for people that he places side bets with. Right, Reggie Miller. I've got that in my book, and it's been detailed before that he um, offered to give Reggie's wife at the time a role if the Pacers beat the Knicks in that series in 94. Um, and obviously the Knicks won it, so he didn't have to. But So Reggie had to go visit uh, Mike Tyson in prison. That was the bet at the time. That's a weird... A little bit of a strange a, bet. That's a weird <laughs> two-way bet. Like, what... I. You know what? I don't even. I don't even want to get into. I it. can understand I, the one side of it, but the other side is like, oh, that's not. That does not seem completely proportional to me. But okay. Like win or <laughs> lose the bet, I would have been curious enough to do that. 
like for whatever <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, okay, you know I have a love hate relationship with awards, and I don't like to shortchange any awards. I don't like to do like let's do MVP and then take five seconds and do all defense because defense is very important. I like all defense a lot. It's a hard one because you only get ten slots. There are only two teams, despite some protestations from player agents of people who would be candidates for the third team to create a third team. There are only two sure. teams. You only get 10 spots. It also, I like this race. I like this one because it also sort of helps me form my defensive player of the year ballot. And as many people have noted, this is an unusual defensive player of the year race. I think Draymond Green was going to be a runaway winner at the 20 or 30 game mark. Then he got hurt, missed half the season. Hasn't looked quite like himself since he came back. Although the last couple games have been encouraging so that it's useful on that level we've done this i think is this our second or third time we've done all defense i i remember in the in the bubble pre-bubble we definitely did it i don't know if we did it last year too yeah i think this is the second time we've done it but i can't remember what year it was that we did it may, maybe it was that year right before the bubble but um i know we've done it at least one other time so yeah, this is my first time that i'm going to be a, an actual voter i always have kind of had a a love-hate relationship with the two or when I used to be at the Wall Street Journal, they would not let us vote. Um, but I thought about it and it's like, you know, I think there are um, some folks, especially national folks around the league that really take the time to study this stuff just to do podcasts, just, you know, their own merit and really care about it. And I think, you know, because there are incentives sometimes tied to this stuff, it's normally made me kind of shy away from wanting to be part of it. But also, if you're taking the time to study it that closely, I think that's kind of who the league would like to, you know, influence that sort of stuff. If you're going to have anybody do it, people that are paying so much attention to it anyway that they have an interest on their own. So um, I decided to go ahead and just agree to, to do it this time. Yeah, if people could see the notes, the pages and pages of notes that I have just for this. Yeah, I exactly. Think, I think they would be legitimately disturbed and worried for me as my family already is by my behavior <laughs> my antisocial right. crazy behavior um <laughs> so let's let's review the let's review the rules um this is just in pencil there's non-binding it's not binding until april i think april 11th the winner battles do at the end of the season i don't know when the, the 11th yeah. the 11th ernst and young will be beating down your door at april 11th if, they, if you haven't submitted your ballot the ballots are out in addition, the league sent me the positional guidelines for all the players and who's eligible at what position and what positions plural. So I've been able to look at that. As has been reported, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are indeed both eligible at forward and center, along with a hail of other people eligible at two positions. Some only eligible at one. Giannis, only a forward. I believe Durant, only a forward. And uh, some agents would argue there's actually an advantage to that because in a weird way you get shortchanged if your all-NBA votes are split between guard and forward or forward to center. I had a long conversation with an agent last week who wants his player to be eligible at only one position for this very reason, but he's eligible at two. In any case, hmm. I like the positional flexibility because I get to t tinker and play around with it. So I have uh, a first team that I feel pretty good about filled in in pencil with one spot that I'm still thinking about a second team that I have four out of five that I feel pretty good about and one guard spot that I just don't know what to do with or who to give it to. So, but you I sound will like me, I will yield the floor to you. Give me on your first team, how many people are in pen or like, what were the, give me the two or three just easiest ones for you to put in. 
Well, you know what? Maybe I've already messed up as I sit here and proclaim I'm going to vote for the first time. You know, proud first time voter doing my homework. I guess the homework would probably start with reading the rubric for the assignment. I have not looked at the positional designations. Do those come into play with no, this as well as know, far as? You, yes, they do. And do you know why you haven't looked at them? Because when you get the stupid ballot from Ernst & Young, you can't. It starts with MVP, right, where they don't list the positions. They just list the names of the players. You have mm-hmm. to go to all NBA and all defense to get the drop-down menus of who's eligible Uh-oh. for what. And you can't get there because they're at the back of the ballot without filling Uh-oh. out the entire ballot, which I don't want to do. So I emailed the league and I was like, yo, I don't want to do this and like <laughs> accidentally put Seth Curry as a placeholder in my MVP or whatever just to get it to the next screen. Can you just right. send me the list of positions? And you know what, Chris? They'll send you a list of positions which should come with the ballot, but oh. it does not. So yes. So I need to look at it very soon then because I, I I've been kind of waiting to do that. I'm not sure why. Part of me is like, let me wait to open it until I actually sit down and vote. And I know I'm not ready to vote yet because in some cases I'd actually like for the last couple of games to play out and see how they go and what changes. If I anything. can't wait till you have the moment when you when you want to vote. G Atentacumpo for all NBA or MVP, and you accidentally put T Atentacumpo, and you notice it at the very last minute before you hit juju before you hit before you hit (laughs) submit and almost vote Thanasis the MVP of the NBA. All right, go back to all all defense. Which you you know for all defense has been my favorite thing about the NBA. Learning it, watching it, it just I I just because it's it's so much sort of more nuanced and hard. It's it's not as obvious as offense. I love digging in. This is one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, give me your easy first team choices. If there's a positional foible that you're unaware of, I will guide you. But just give me your easy ones. Sure. I mean, so you, you mentioned Giannis already. He's a guy that I think at this point has proven himself to be pretty much a perennial defensive player of the year candidate in addition to being an MVP candidate. So for me, he was pretty easy here. Um I think, as you said, it, it is a very different year in terms of who's going to take that award, Defensive Player of the Year. But I feel like you hear a couple of the same names being floated um, generally wh- wherever you look or kind of whatever you listen to. I think Marcus Smart deservingly will have his name in that conversation. Um, he feels like a, pretty much a lock here and on the first team. And um, the other person that I'll say that um, I don't necessarily know if he'll be a lock for other people but I think he will be in the defensive player of the year conversation. I think that we're starting to now see kind of the the fringes of fatigue for people in terms of saying, okay, in the same way that maybe people started to think about Giannis and say, okay, now he's won MVP twice now without winning the whole thing. Um, so can we really put him up for a third straight year, even though his numbers are the same, virtually the same as they have been? Um, I think some of that is starting to happen with Gobert now, where this would be his fourth defensive player of the year. Utah was not dominant defensively in large part because, you know, statistically just looking at it on paper because of how awful they were defensively when Gobert was not playing. Um, But I don't know that he became any less impactful. So I frankly think that he should be a lock on this team as well on the first team. Um, I think he should be in the conversation for defense player of the year, although I don't think he's going to win this year. Um, so those would be my three locks. And then I've got two guys that for me were not difficult to choose, but I could imagine for other people, you might hear different people. Um, and uh, so I've got those two up there as well. So Gobert 
um, the numbers are, are still there. I mean, he's he's number one in a bunch of advanced metrics that I will not bore you with the acronyms of. The Jazz are seven or eight points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor. They're basically an elite defense with him and a terrible defense without him. Um, he's holding players to 49.9% shooting at the rim when he's the closest defender, which is, I think, fifth overall. You know who's number one? Here's a trivia question for you, Chris Herring. Can you guess, among all NBA players, according to NBA.com, who is number one in lowest field goal percentage at the basket, minimum, minimum 20 games played, and minimum at least challenging three shots at the basket per game? So you don't get it if you've talents like 10 all season or won a game. Minimum right. three per game, minimum 20 games played, lowest field goal percentage at the rim. Can you guess? Do you already know the answer? You're looking at me like you already know. Well, it's funny because I I think I do, but then there's there's so many different iterations of this stat depending on whether you're talking about just at the rim, and I'm trying to, not to get them mixed up in my head. He's not an all defense candidate. I'll tell you that. Oh, um, now I'm hearing the Jeopardy music in my head, and I'm about to run out of time. No, I don't. Isaiah Hartenstein of the Los Angeles Clippers, who has been one of the best backup big men in the league this year and has been basically splitting minutes evenly with Avica Zubats in the last couple of leagues. The Clips have had a great second unit all season. Just a little trivia for you. So Gobert is still top top five uh, there. Uh, I have him first team all defense. I don't know if he's going to crack my top three defensive player of the year ballot. Uh, I don't think he's been quite as good um, as as in the past this year. I think he's been very, very good to borderline uh, – not borderline, elite, but at the top of the top, I'm not sure he's been quite as good. But I have him as my first-team center. Um, Marcus Smart is one of my two first-team guards, so that's two that we agree on. Let's stop now and talk about Marcus Smart for Defensive Player of the Year because the narrative has crescendoed around him in the last two weeks, and there has been much ado about how no guard has won this award since Gary Payton in the mid to late 90s, even though wings, uh, including Kawhi Leonard multiple times, have won this award. And I guard wing, you know, fine, I guess that's, you know, and I do think there, I I don't think, I don't, I, I haven't got my arms around whether that's quote unquote unfair whether larger humans have an unfair grip on this award because even as the league has evolved and the league is much different than it was when Gary Payton won the award, more switching, uh, you're asked to guard, particularly someone like Marcus Smart, which we'll talk about, asked to guard all sorts of different positions and do all sorts of different things where Gary Payton was, even even what for what was by that time a very avant-garde defense, was basically a point-of-attack defender. You know, right. is is it is it really unfair to sort of favor big men when when Marcus Smart, as great as he is, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, challenges two shots a game at the rim, two. Gobert's at eight. The big the Embiid's at nine. The rim is still the most valuable geographic region in the NBA. And then the flip side of that is part of limiting rim attempts is the ability to switch and prevent people from penetrating to the rim altogether. And so that sort of force field defense is kind of rim protection without actual rim protection baked into it. So I, But what do you think about this idea that 
it's time for a guard or it's been unfair that bigs have monopolized this award, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the truth is, um, and, and it's funny because you, you didn't gloss over it necessarily. I think more than anything, you probably kind of assumed I already knew a lot of the kind of the fancier statistics and acronyms and stuff like that. The truth I, is, yes, we've Chris, got... Chris, I assume, I assume that you, Chris, I do not <laughs> Well, I worked at a website where... Yeah, I worked at 538. Draymond yeah. and Raptor and all these different, you know, uh, acronyms and stuff like that. But the truth is, um, one thing that you didn't mention, which I just think is a universal truth here, um, and part of the reason you're more interested in this maybe than some of the just boilerplate awards in the NBA is that... Um, like you said, defense is kind of more, it requires more focus in terms of just looking simply at a defender, looking at weak side action, looking at how people react when they're on the weak side. And the fact that we have more data now to pull from, to be able to at least try to help identify which guys are most influential on that side of the ball. Um, and so for a long time, you know, as much as people complain about the specificity of these stats and the noise in these stats. And there is, it's not me saying that there, there isn't, or that I'm trying to um, say that the stats are perfect because they're not, but we're a whole hell of a lot closer than we were before of just kind of trying to eyeball it and guess and looking at guys that slap the floor and just assuming that they're good defenders because they do it or because they show effort or because they, are ball hawks that gamble a lot and and make mistakes that cost their team points. You sound like you're Russell Westbrook talking about Patrick Beverly tricking us all. You t- you sound like you're talking about <laughs> Pat Bev who got his revenge in a big way this season at the expense of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, all that stuff combined, we we see a lot more stuff now that we can at least take a crack at using some of the stuff to identify who's better than we think or who's just really, really good that we already know that, but we can put numbers to it. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that now. And I think it's finally kind of crescendo to a point where we're seeing a lot of that stuff. When you watch these games, a lot of these numbers are being used in broadcast. The hustle stats have helped quite frankly, um, just in the last two, three years, I think to kind of identify guys that work and try really hard and, and get over screens and stuff like that. So all that stuff combined, plus the fact that I think that you have a team that uh, pretty clearly is the best defensive team in the league. Um, I think just like with anything else, we've done this with MVP. We've started to see the Suns tap into this from a campaign standpoint with Booker, where frankly, you have a team that is running away with the best record. And I think the Suns wisely, I don't agree with it, but I think wisely looked and said, look, Book is is averaging 25, 5 and 5. And the Suns are running away with the best record in a way that teams normally don't do. Every time that's happened historically, the guy that does that wins MVP. And I think that there's probably a little bit of truth to that as well. Defensively, when you have a, a new team that is the, you know, newly the best team in the league defensively, that has one guy that kind of spearheads their effort, that shows the kind of effort that he does, that even when you look at the advanced numbers, is influential on that sort of level. And I think it does kind of point to Marcus Smart in a way that that maybe is a little bit different. And maybe on top of that, the factor it factors in that it's been a long time since we've had a guard win this award. So I don't I don't know if that will be the reason, but I'm sure it probably doesn't hurt his case for some people that think that there's a novelty to it. Statistically, you can't make the case for Marcus Smart. But I, I also think, or, or by individual statistics, you can't make the case for Marcus Smart. I also think those individual statistics are just so imperfect that even taken together, 
they don't tell the whole story, and they are favorable to big men over guards because of the counting stats that big men get that underlie a lot of these acronym stats. Um, I think Marcus Smart is a perfectly reasonable defense player of the year candidate. He is the best defender on what, for the last 40 games, has been not just the best defensive team in the NBA. By far. By far the best defensive team. A historically great defensive team. A team that has left lots of opponents being like, we don't even know what the hell we're supposed to do anymore. Like, everything we tried just totally failed. He gets he starts on the best guy on a lot of nights. He can switch on to anybody. We know the hustle stuff and the charges. If you just listen, if you just listen to Boston games, just listen. He's the guy getting everybody into position, communicating all of the switches and then re-switches and then third switches on the fly, telling everybody where to be, what personnel demands what, what personnel doesn't demand what. And my favorite thing about him, my God, watching Marcus Smart box out seven-footers is one of the joys of the NBA and one of the linchpins for why the Celtics can play the scheme that they play. Is he going to be my defense player there? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. He's going to be on my ballot almost certainly. He's on my first team ballot, and he's incredible. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right. 100, 100 times, times your money. money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Let's talk about Gobert for a second because Gobert is just such a lightning rod. It's fascinating to me. The Clippers series and the idea that small ball can take Gobert out of the game, I think has been wildly overblown. He's gotten too much blame for Utah's collapse against the Clippers last year. But even, did you happen to see the Warriors-Jazz game the other night, the, the Utah's latest yes. fall from ahead catastrophe? Second, uh, twenty more than 20-point lead that they've blown in within a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going great for the Jazz, as we talked about last Six week out on, of the, seven. on the low post podcast. It's not, it's not going great. Um, that That game is such a useful microcosm into the way that people think and talk about Gobert. So the Warriors, even without Curry, 
have great two great shooters on the floor at all times, and Clay Thompson and, and late your Michigan boy Jordan Poole, yeah, uh, who's just lighting up the NBA. And a lot of the Warriors' offense is very simple. If you have a center who lays back, we're going to screen with that center's guy, and Clay and Jordan Poole, and when he's healthy, Steph Curry are going to come around that screen. And if you're laying back and that screen hits, and we got good screeners, that guy's going to have daylight. And Clay got some jumpers that way in the first three quarters of the game. Poole got some jumpers that way in the first three quarters of that game. And every time those jumpers went in, the Warriors announcers were like, well, this is what you do. You punish Rudy Gobert. This is the punishment for having Rudy Gobert at your center. And it looks it looks bad when those shots go in. But then here's what you do, Chris. Here's what the, here's what the experience is like. It looks so bad. Yeah, man, Rudy's he's not coming up. They're punishing. Then you look at the scoreboard. Oh, the Warriors have 56 points in the middle of the third quarter. Like, we notice when the shots go in. We don't notice when they miss because the Utah defenders did a great job fighting over screens. And, and, and more to the point, when they asked Gobert to come up higher on those picks later in the game to contest those shots, he was yeah. great at it. That's not the reason they lost. He like He's comfortable up there. So when it looks bad, is that Rudy's fault? Is that the coaching staff's fault? Is it nobody's fault because the math continues to win out over and over? It's very – and then they collapse for a whole sorts of different reasons. But it wasn't about Rudy. He's just such a polarizing presence. I still think he's a no-brainer first-team all-defense. He's the best rim protector in the NBA. He's a great isolation defender. No-brainer. But I don't know. You you seem to think he's properly rated as a defender too. Yeah. I mean, the, the truth is that defense around him has so many problems, and it, it's starting to – I don't know. I I I, I kind of it kind of feels like a death march that we're seeing with this team a little bit as we start as we roll into the playoffs. You know, it's been six of seven for them. It's a team that, as much as we talk about their defense being a problem, and and understandably so, um, at least for some of the things that they've kind of had repeated problems with in, in the postseason, um, their offense has been a pretty big problem lately too. And I think that you know. I think what we're starting to see now, for whatever reason, he's been, um, like you said, a polarizing player. He's one of the only players I can really remember where guys mention him almost by name, in some cases mention him by name, is saying that they don't understand how and why he's kind of revered the way he is. Um, it's a little bit strange. And so, it, you know, it kind of feels like it's been open season on him for a while. Even when he missed all that time, similar to Draymond with the Warriors, you immediately see their impact, even if you were missing it before, of just how awful the team is on that side of the floor when he's not there. So um, to me, that part of it alone, it's similar with Steph on offense, like it, it, it's not hard to see how great these guys are because the minute they're gone, you see how much the team struggle, like an elite team, how much they struggle when they're not there. And, um, you know, there are problems there. I, I can own this. I think I've been right about several things this year. Um as it relates to like preseason predictions, I remember thinking that the Bulls would be a lot better than people gave them credit. I remember saying that I thought the Hawks would would really struggle in some ways this yeah, year. You were, you the were one dead on about the Hawks. Okay, okay, just what are the Bulls a lot better than people thought they were going to be, or have the Bulls become well, the team we kind of all thought they were going to be? So, so that's fair. I, I think that the one thing I think I said, or if not, I said it, then you said it when we podcasted about it before, was that they they felt thin. And they were really, really good, arguably one of the two, three best teams in the league. And then they had two injuries relatively at the same time with Ball and with Caruso. And I think that what we both said and agreed on 
is if this team is even decent defensively, that's a special team. Caruso is a name that will come up later in this discussion. So what's the thing it you should. are going to admit to being wrong about? I think that's where we were leading to. Yes, the Jazz. I, I, I said that uh, I, I said that the Jazz, I, I was being cute about it, but I said, you know, Rudy Gay um, will be sixth man of the year. It was, it, was, it was not a joke pick, but it was more of like, I think this idea that they have for something that they're trying to do structurally, I think it's smart, one, that they're trying to address something about what, went wrong last year and the postseason or what they perceive to have gone wrong against the Clippers. Um, and obviously, you know, whether it was a cute pick or not, um, he was out of the rotation the other, the other night. Um, and it's not something that's really worked for them or been something that they can just switch to when they're getting, uh, charred on defense or when they're getting burned on defense. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, but the go bears, I don't think it, it's, it's some, uh, it's it's not on Gobert as far as like if they decide that this isn't the route they want to go, which that's a different question than defensive, all defensive teams obviously. But I I, I don't think there are going to be a lot of teams that raise their hand to, to try to partake of Rudy Gobert because uh, their their problems run a lot deeper than him, and it's not I don't see him as really the problem or the style of defense that they play as the problem. It, it seems like other stuff to me. I don't want to belabor the Jazz because Tim McMahon and I hit them hard last week. Just a couple of things. The Rudy Gay thing is a big deal. The fact that that hasn't worked is a big, big deal. Um, If you want to have have a good laugh and you have, like, way too much time on your hands, go back and watch the Utah broadcast of the first game Rudy Gay played this season (laughs) where they are talking. I remember that. He, like, makes a couple of threes and the announcer like, this is why we signed Rudy Gay. He's going to change. <laughs> this is the guy we've been waiting for. He's going to change the whole thing. Can you believe how good he looks in this? It's unbelievable. Flash Man, forward two months changed. and it's like, flash forward two months like, and now coming off the bench, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Juancho <laughs> Hernan Gomez. The second thing yeah. is, Quinn, Quinn Snyder's got this stubble thing going right now that I haven't seen from him until the last couple weeks. Get it? Shave. It's not working. Shave. The basketball guys don't like it. You got to change something. Either shave your head or shave the beard. Get out of it. Um, okay, enough jazz. So my first – here's my first team. Four. I got four guys almost in pen. Smart Okay. and Gobert at guard and center. Second okay. guard I, is Matisse Thibel. Um, okay. I just think he's – I think it's self-explanatory. The guy's incredible. And – Last year or two years, the, for whatever the first year I put him on, he was a backup, and I had some hesitancy of putting. I don't. I. I just. It's hard to put a backup on all defense because a your minutes are limited, and I think part of part of part of being on this list, and this is going to be a big thing with Mikhail Bridges, is it, it be you can be a great defensive player and be a fifteen minute a game specialist because your offense is so bad. I'd rather have someone who's 5% worse than you defensively but good enough on offense to play a ton of minutes because that person's mm. defense is going to have more of an impact. This is why Gary Payton the second, the mitten, who may be the best defensive guard alive, I didn't, yeah. is not going to make either of my teams. Because if, as a rule of thumb, if you fall out of the rotation for a portion of the season because of your limitations X, Y, and Z, you just can't, you can't make the season. You play 1,100 minutes, you're out. Um, yep. But Thibel is now a starter. Um 
and he's just i mean he's he's just he's a phantom he's not even a human being i don't know what the hell he is he's like a superhero he's like nightcrawler yeah. i don't know what the hell he is he's blocks <laughs> steals he's everywhere all at once he's terrible he scares me watching on tv so he's in <laughs> and then at forward because i have the ability to slide him to forward i'm putting bam out of bio as one of my okay. first team players so i have smart okay. Thibel, bam gobert that leaves me one forward yeah when I went into this exercise last week, I presumed – well, first of all, that would be Draymond Green had Draymond played the whole season. Draymond yeah. Green would be Defensive Player of the Year. He'd be first team all defense. I have him on second team as is. Okay. I was going to ask you that because, look, I was actually having this conversation with someone right before we hopped on this call. And I was saying in some ways I feel like it made this process easier – because there's there's so many people that are out and have missed a lot of time and there was COVID. But, I, you know, normally that line for a lot of people is like 50, 55 games, 60 games. This year, I felt like the baseline was even lower just because everybody missed time. Um, but I wasn't sure where that line was. And with Draymond, I wasn't sure what that, where that line was. I, I will admit that obviously there's a difference between first team, second team. And I will also admit that Draymond would have won Defensive Player of the Year at the rate he was going before. So you're you're drawing the line there for him. It he can play less than fifty, and I still want him on one of the two teams. Well, to me, this with two teams, there's a big difference between first and second team. First right. team is a huge, huge honor. Second team is like we know you're awesome. It's not the same honor. And Draymond, okay. look, look, I Draymond is going to end up playing forty-seven games. I think mm. for the first, let's say thirty-five of those, he was the best defense player in the NBA. Then he came yeah. back and for a half dozen games didn't look quite like himself. He's now going to get. He's now looking more like himself. Let's give him the last four or five. He looks like himself. That's half a season of being the best defensive player in the NBA. You also like the best. Not oh, he's the kind of cute candidate du jour for a week. Oh, let's put him in the conversation. That's what Alex Caruso was. And Alex Caruso is a candidate for me. I don't think he's going to make it, but he's a candidate. He was the, hey, we should all be talking about this guy. He's really good too. Draymond was just the best, period. He also has won this award before. He's a perennial first-team all-defense. And at some point, particularly when we're talking about second-team or third-team all-NBA even, for me, you do just get the, I just call it like the notion bonus like no Kevin Durant's amazing I don't care that he's really missed this many games he's not gonna make first team right. for me second team all NBA Draymond Green no bonus you're Draymond Green you're gonna belong on one of my teams you would have been defensive player of the year anyway when I went into this my my second uh, my my last spot on first team forward I presumed would have been Giannis still might be Giannis I actually hmm. kind of presumed I was gonna vote Giannis defensive player of the year well Okay, that's interesting. That's and interesting that you thought that, but now you may not even have him on your first team. Now I just I'm not sure because the Bucks, through really no fault of Giannis, honestly, have been giving off this like we don't even know what our identity is anymore on defensive vibe all year. With Lopez back, they have their kind of foundational look back. But they've mm -hmm. been winning these games, and they lost uh, yesterday, Sunday, to Boston – or to, to right. Dallas, rather. Um, they've been winning a lot of these games on offense. Like Their defense still doesn't look right. His numbers aren't quite as amazing as they have been in previous years. He's still really, really good. Um, but but it, it, And when the chips are down, 
Like, I think he might be the best defensive player in the NBA. That's why I might vote for him first team all defense, maybe a defensive player of the year. I don't think so. But his numbers aren't the same. The team's not the same. Even his field goal percentage allowed at the rim, 52% is very good. It's not like top three, top two, like 46% like it's been in previous years. So I'm not convinced that he's going to make my ballot for defensive player of the year. He will make an all defense team for me, whether it's first or second. And I'll tell you, if it's not Giannis, I'll tell you who it's going to be. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. I mean, the eye test is one thing. It's fantastic. The numbers are just whether you like overwhelming. on off, whether you like all the advanced metrics with the acronyms that we talked about, whether you go on second spectrum <laughs> and you find out things like his points per possession allowed on isolations, it's minuscule. On pick and rolls, it's minuscule. He's one of the best switch defenders on the pick and roll in the league according to second spectrum it's like less than 0. 0.8 0. 0.7 rather points allowed per possession just a lot of these guys if you poke around long enough you'll find one category one play type one something where they don't rate well he's off the charts amazing at everything except fouling and that ultimately is yeah. i think what's going to keep him off my defensive player of the year ballot because there are just too many games where he plays 25 minutes a game because he fouls all the time and he's only a so-so rebounder. But I think that's defensive player of the year. I think he has a really good first team all defense case. And if he's not on my first team, it'll be because Giannis is and he will be uh, on my second team one way or another. What do you think of his candidacy? Is he on either of your teams? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. First of all, so it's probably requires some backtracking, um, not in terms of me recanting anything, but just in terms of – who was on your team versus mine. I had a lot of those guys you just mentioned on my first team. Uh, yeah, so let's let's reset. My tentative first sure. team, okay. if I go JJJ, would be Smart, Thibel, Jackson, Bam, Gobert. Tentative. Okay. Tentative. All right. So mine, I had already mentioned Smart, Giannis, and Gobert as guys that I would have on my first team. Part of why I put Giannis there is just, I, I think, not that I don't think you're overlooking it, but I think, because Brooke wasn't there, the fact that, he, yes, the numbers came down a little bit, but he was asked to do more and more at the rim than, than normal uh, because of the fact that he was playing a lot of five at times for them with their lineups. But the other two guys that I put in here were Bridges. I put him on my first team, um, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was the other. Now, this was where I was saying that I didn't look at the positional designations that came with the ballot, but – Hell, Jaron Jackson plays essentially power forward in his own lineup, uh, given who they roll out as starters. Um, and Bridges obviously can, can be a guard or as a guard. So those were two guys I went with there. Thibel, I thought, had a very good case for first team. Um, I think Bridges, the number of minutes that he plays relative, I think, to Thibel. Um, now that Thibel obviously does start, but I think that there's something to be said for Bridges and the fact that he's out there and that that game that he had, it was earlier in the season. I think it was uh, – I'm trying to remember. Was it in the midst of the streak that they had, the first streak that they had, the 18-game winning streak, where he just locked up Steph? And I still remember that game just really firmly um, of just him locking down Steph Curry, I think sh- forcing him into the worst shooting performance of his career um, in the regular season where he had 20 shots or more. Um, and there were just several games where he's asked so often to just take on – the other team's best player, as you should when you're going to be up for an award like Defensive Player of the Year or when you're talked about for first team. 
Um, Thibel's incredible. I definitely gave real thought to putting him on the first team as well. I think that makes it pretty obvious that he's right at the top of my second team. So I, I would not really debate anyone down for for having him first team or second. You team. might you might sway me on the minutes because, like I said before, part of part of being a good defensive player is being out there to play sure. defense. And I have a whole spreadsheet of players that I my long kind of list of candidates. I think there are forty guys on this spreadsheet. Bridges is number one in minutes among all 40 of those guys. Number two is a sneaky good candidate that we're going to talk about later. Um, he's played like 1,200 more minutes than Thibel. That may be – Is it that, that may, many more? That, wow. I, I, think I didn't even realize it was that much more. <laughs> Not, uh, when I picked him, I didn't even realize it was that much more. <laughs> yeah, he's played like 11 or 1,200 more minutes than Thibel. Wow. That may be persuasive to me. Interestingly, statistically – the, the advanced numbers, I don't know. I don't know why they just don't love Bridges that much, um, right? As much as these other guys, you can pick whatever you know all-encompassing metric du jour you want. So there are a couple that do. Our adjusted plus-minus at ESPN is really high on him. Some of the other stuff isn't. I just I look at those numbers and I watch the Suns play, and I'm like, those numbers are missing something because this guy is absolutely incredible across four positions. Um, you know, and then you know, again, but there are other numbers too. Like his isolation points against is like not that great according to Second Spectrum. It's like over one point oh five points. That's like okay. It's not great. It's actually not even okay. But I, I don't something something is not translating to the numbers because Mikhail Bridges is incredible. The Suns are the second best defense in the league. He's the best defense player on the Suns. If you want to put him first team, I have him penciled in as a second team guard. If you want to put him first team, because I think he's in the defense player of the year discussion, he should be. That's fine. You may have actually just persuaded me to do it based only on the minutes, because again, part of it is like how many how many Man. minutes are you out there playing defense? But I'll play devil's advocate to my point, I guess. Uh, Thibault, even with less minutes, man, just like some of the stuff that just jumps off the screen at you, even if you're just watching, you're flipping channels, flipping between games. Um, Bible for all those fewer minutes that he's played than someone like Bridges, he is like lapping the field in something. Now, this is something that Draymond excels at a lot too when he's at his best and when he's healthy is blocking three-point shots. I think Thibel has like 23, which is the most in the league. The next closest guy has 16. Um, so he's got like 50% more than the, you know, than the next guy. Yeah, the, uh, that, the, I look up that stat every once in a while because – it's it's Thibel and Chris Boucher and then everybody else miles behind them. Those two <laughs> right. guys are doing the three point shots that the rest of the league combined is like, whoa, what's they're like from another planet. Right. But that stuff always starts transitions, you know, it gets teams baskets. Now, granted, there's only 23 of them in a year for the guy, you know, the high man in that stat. But it's just something that that sort of stuff always just kind of stops you in your tracks because it's so difficult to do it. The timing you know, think about how often guys get fouled taking threes. So it's it's the timing, it's the grace, it's, you know, the length to be able to affect a shot like that. So, I mean, he's, look, I get it. If, if you have him, despite having played that many fewer minutes, you're not going to hear an argument from me, a, a really vociferous one, because I understand he's, he's great and a really great player, really great defender. And I remember even when he was a rookie, um, you know, the, he, I remember saying he would have been one of my, all rookie team picks, despite the fact that he was not playing that much, just because defenders like him don't come around very often. So I get it. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing 
on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Can I give you a hilarious Thibault set? Sure. So uh, the 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 wizards at Second Spectrum, the tracking people, they have this they have this stat for um, every player when they're the closest defender to whoever shoots. Now, this is imperfect. Defense isn't always about being the closest defender to whoever shoots, right? Be that as it may, when you're the closest defender to whoever shoots, what do all of those players in the aggregate? What is their effective field goal percentage? When you are there, compared to what we would expect it to be given the shooters, specific people shooters, the location of the shots, and like an average NBA defender. Thibel, <laughs> they're shooting seven points worse, seven percentage points worse with Thibel as the closest defender. That minus seven figure is like one of the five or six best in the league. Most of these guys are around zero, minus one, minus two, minus three. Then you get Thibel minus seven. And then my leading candidate for second team center, assuming I put Bam first team as a forward, even though he's really a center, and Jaron Jackson first team as a forward, which he kind of is. He's probably two-thirds. He splits his time between either one. Uh, My second team center, and his figure is minus eight, is Robert Williams the third? I have penciled in as my second team center. And I've talked a lot about the Celtics defense. Um, to me, he and Smart have been the kind of bookends of that defense. A lot of ink has been spilled about how 20, 30 games into the season, Ime Udoka in a genius move decided we're going to put Time Lord on the corner guy instead of the center. We're going to switch everything. We're going to have him be our ro- our Giannis, basically. He's a, kind of their Giannis, our roving rim protector. He switches more. He's fantastic at everything. Uh you know, like 49% allowed at the rim, one of the best switch defenders in the NBA by the numbers. Obviously, the injury has chipped away in his minutes played. You can make an argument for lots of other centers. Jakob Pertl, Jared Allen. Jared Allen's numbers across the board are outstanding. Yeah. I think I think overlooked Joel Embiid. And I, I had him on my list too as someone that I was like, just hear nothing about, but you know, no, but I don't I say know why that is because the only thing you hear is, well, you know, his defense has kind of slipped a little bit this year. Cause think of the burden he's carrying on offense and he's not but like still been look, damn good. Maybe that's true, but Joel Embiid slipping whatever percent you want to posit that he's slipped is still a gargantuan, terrifying force of yep. defense. And he is like Gobert in that he is a one-man defensive architecture. When Joel Embiid is on the floor, the Sixers have an elite defense that yields many fewer shots at the rim and many fewer threes because everyone else can stay home knowing the big fella has the rim covered. 
I actually think he's being underplayed as an all-defense candidate. I'm glad you agree. I might put him second team. Right now I have Time Lord. But again, that gets into like (sighs) Robert Williams III has a usage rate on offense of 11%. His job is to catch lobs and pass from the elbow. Joel Embiid has a usage rate on offense of everything. His job is everything. (laughs) Even with James Harden, his job is still everything. And so, yeah, his defense maybe has slipped a little bit because he's got to concentrate on all his other stuff for 38 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Robert Williams Jr. has like three jobs. He's really good at all of them, but he's got like three jobs. Joel Embiid has 50 jobs. Yeah, and, and I will say this because I, I have not made my mind up yet about MVP. But to me, if you're giving me truth serum, I know how much Nikola Jokic has improved defensively. You know, the, the narrative on him being a bad defender is like years old at this point. Um Embiid sometimes looks defensively as strong as Jokic's defensive, advanced defensive numbers look. Like, that's how good he is on defense. Like, he looks that part in more of a way defensively. Like, I would expect his numbers, his advanced defensive numbers to be better than Jokic's. They rarely are. I know that there's a lot of hullabaloo about that. I, you know, obviously just yesterday or just this weekend, and Bede was saying, I don't know what more realistically I would need to do to get the award if I don't get it this year. I think it's a very close argument as to who should get it. So I don't think that it's going to be that he got um, swindled out of getting it if he doesn't. But I, I do I'm, think that. Can we stop for ahead. a second? Because I'm glad sure, you brought please. his comments up. Because I got I've a number of people inside the league texting me about them today. Because everyone knows this is a very competitive MVP race. Sure. What do you think of Joel Embiid's comments? He said, "He said, I'm gonna feel like people hate me if I don't win yeah. this year, or that the sta- I think he said something about this. I'll feel the, like standards the standards are higher so for many- people in Philly. Yeah, something like whatever, that. Whatever that. Means. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I love Philadelphia personally. I've called it many times on this podcast the most underrated city in America. I um, love it. It's like Chicago. It feels me, like Chicago to me. If if you give me Philly versus Boston as a place to live, ten times out of ten, I'm taking Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I look. I can't." I can't get mad or judge Joel Embiid for saying that because it's him. It's his life. It's personal to him. The hurt is personal. The ambition is personal. And when something is personal, it's just different. It's for different for you, different for me. If someone said, Chris, your book is overrated, you would yeah. – you, or or that book <laughs> is better than your book, you would take right. it more personally. I, I do think – when you throw in the word hate or this Philly standard thing, I do think it has sort of a, a trickle down poisonous effect on the discord, the discourse rather. I don't know who I'm voting for. Let me, we're f- four games out. I have no f-ing clue who I'm voting for. If Joel Embiid doesn't win or doesn't get your vote or doesn't get my vote or doesn't get Doris Burke's vote or doesn't get who's ever vote, it's not because something about Philadelphia. It's not because there's any dislike for Joel Embiid. Sometimes it's because the other guys are amazing too. Like that's all it is. Anyway, end, end story. Continue about Joel Embiid. Yeah, I, I, I'll say this and then I'll move on. I mean, I think that trying to put myself in his much bigger shoes than mine, um, you know, it, it, it was a year where I remember being befuddled like that the Sixers didn't get a Christmas game despite having been the one seed last year. Yes, Ben Simmons matters. But the idea that they still have their MVP candidate, he was my MVP pick before the season and my MVP prediction. So the thought that like, okay, I dealt with all this drama that he didn't necessarily ask for. Um, He carried the team. He has them. I I don't know if you'd say has anymore, but had them in the conversation for the top seed. 
by the end of the season. They're uh, still in a three-way. They're still in a three-way tie for second. And by the right. way, depending on what happens with the Nets and the most interesting subplot of the next four games, and in particular, Atlanta plays Toronto tomorrow, Tuesday. What looms is a massive game. Is can the Nets, who have the tiebreaker over Atlanta, can the Nets get back to seven and eight? Or are they going to be stuck in 9 and 10? Because if they can get back to 7 and 8, they can be either 7th or 8th, in which case they threaten the 1 and the 2 seed as a potential playoff opponent. If they're stuck in 8th, that 2 seed suddenly becomes a much safer place to be. And all those teams, Absolutely. you better believe it, all those teams at the top. Now Miami's got a two-game cushion. They may just get the 1 seed. But they're all looking at the Nets, all of them, being like, where are they? Well, they're 10th now. Well, that, that changes our math. If Atlanta loses that game tomorrow against Toronto and puts Brooklyn in position to jump back into seventh or into into eighth most likely if they win out and Brooklyn's schedule is angel food cake life gets very interesting if Atlanta wins that game life gets interesting in a different way yes very much so so thinking about all that um a team that like you said they're tied for second um which apparently based on the way that stuff shook out with the Christmas game and everything else, like, I don't know if they were forgotten about, I don't know if people were down on them, but that wasn't Embiid's fault. Embiid not only, you know, carried them and has had some ridiculous performances, all the 40 and 10 games, which by the way, Jokic is like right there with, if he's not getting 40 and 10, he's getting 38, 14 and nine, or, you know, a triple double with, with 35 points. So they're, they're neck and neck, but basically Embiid, I think the biggest thing with Embiid is that carrying, um, the Sixers, but also overlooked is the fact that like this is a guy that up until what last year, this year wasn't playing back to backs even just because like we well, still have to think about the idea of preserving the guy um, or people are on him about his weight or about anything else. It's like the way that Jokic kind of got himself into shape to be able to play 40 minutes a night if he needed to and to win an MVP award. Embiid has basically done that and is like the same way that we started to shed those questions about Steph's durability. We've now done that without really thinking about it with Embiid. And I do think that it's carried his team and lifted his team. And quite frankly, for all the stuff Harden really hasn't done on a night to night basis, he's still carried his team. Um, so I think that that's probably the frustration. I, I, I think it was overstated and, and, and a bit strong. But like you said, it's his life. It's his it's career. It's him. It's, it, it means everything. So I, I get it. I don't, but I, don't I do absolutely think, I do absolutely think he should be in the conversation for all, all defensive team. Uh, I did not quite put him on my team to kind of continue on with who I have on mine. I also had Robert Williams on my second team, um, just because I kind of feel like, you know, I wasn't preemptively going in this way saying, let me make sure I get two Celtics on the team. But I kind of felt like really unfortunate with the injury he had. Absolutely a huge impact guy and, and someone that when they started utilizing them, him the way they did, they really took off as a team. Um, and and quite frankly, I, I just think he deserves it, uh, you know, in terms of the sort of impact he makes and how impossible he makes their defense to score on. So he was on my second team. I had Bam on my second team uh, and had put Jaron Jackson in my one of my forward spots for the first team. Jaron Jackson over Bam. You're going to get kicked off the Bam wagon with that kind of attitude. Were you ever on the bandwagon? I don't know if you ever were on the bandwagon with us. We're gonna kiss you. we're gonna throw you right off on a like a high a high speed you know toss off the car. Well, I'll quote from a, a great philosopher named Zach Lowe that said that the the availability thing matters, and uh, you know Bam missed a lot of time here as well. Uh, he now did, he, you're right. 
I mean, he's spectacular. And, and maybe as we talk about Smart and Williams and just the ability, I mean, all these guys are, are tornadoes with the way they, they can move around and switch and just kind of take on the, the next guy and end up somewhere. You, you use Nightcrawler before. Uh, I mean, Bam might be the best of anybody in the, in the league at doing that. Um, and, you know, so I look, he, I think he deserves to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year as well. Um, realistically, I think you have five or six guys that could do that. And I think that Bam deserves to be in that conversation. I, I, I put him on my second team by a hair. Um, you know, I thought Jaron Jackson, uh, I also think Jaron Jackson's kind of asked to do more defensively in Memphis than, than, uh, than most guys are just because of who's around him. Whereas Bam is playing with a lot of really good defenders, but Bam has talent and also can stay on the floor in a way that Jaron doesn't always. So I, I understand it. It's, it's, it's pretty close for me on all these fronts. See, I think you're right about Bam. Bam is missed. Bam's going to finish with like 58 games if he plays the rest. That's a, that's about enough in a COVID season, even though his absence was thumb surgery or whatever related. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if he had a health. I've, I've stopped tracking who's in health, who was, is, has been, <laughs> might be right. in health and safety protocols, which by the way, are sneaking back into the league right now. We've had a Gordon yeah, Dragic is in health little. and safety pro- protocols. Spo is in health and safety product protocols. Um, anyway, uh, but but Bam is the best defensive player on that on that team. And I think Lowry hasn't quite been the same this year, missed a bunch of games for personal reasons. Butler, I don't think, has been quite the same this year. He's on my list of candidates. I don't have him on either team. Tucker, PJ Tucker has a really strong statistical case and is really, really good. He's he, I but I just think Bam and then they have to cover for for weak defenders at other positions. Um epitomizing that bam has defended i believe the i think he's defended even having missed all these games the seventh most isolations in the entire league the top three are celtics um because of how often they switch and he's switched the most screens in the entire league uh also despite the, all that time he missed which is wild also That's in the wild also in the t- this tells you all you need to know about the sort of tension built into the heat. Also in the top ten of most isolations defended, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, which you don't really necessarily want those guys defending a bunch of isolations. Duncan Robinson, <laughs> uh, when teams have isolated on Duncan Robinson, they have scored one point one nine eight points per possession. Oof. That ranks the best offense in the league. Three hundred and eighth out of three hundred and seventeen players who have defended at least fifty isolations. Oh, That's Duncan. not very good. Um, no. I don't even know where the hell I was going. But Bam's on my first team. You're off the Bam wagon. That's it. Um, so so here's here's where my second team stands. Then in pencil. Okay. Okay. This is still. Let's just posit Thibel's on first team. Okay. Which which you may have persuaded me out of. So that means Bridges second team guard, Giannis okay. at forward, Draymond at forward. Time Lord at center, which leaves me one guard spot that I absolutely have no idea what to do with. So who are your second team guards? So again, I had Thibel on my second team. So that's and- one of them. But the other one, I thought long and hard about this one because it was it was probably one of the two most difficult calls I had. And both of them were on the second team. I went with Van Bleet for my second team guard, who I think love is a love it. Completely love it, deserving 
pick. Lean I, I all mean, the way into NBA nerddom. Fred, nothing, nothing <laughs> marks you as an NBA nerd more than talking about how great Fred Van Vliet is. And I am an NBA nerd at heart. He's on my list. It's F, it says FVV question mark right here. I don't know who's going to yeah. be that slot's going to be, but he's on my long list. Well, let's 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 go through it. I mean, like, I'll, I'll, obviously, I, maybe not obviously. I mean, I had a couple other guys I consider here. Derek White was one. Uh and you know fits like a glove with with Boston. Um, Drew Holiday was another, and you mentioned uh, Milwaukee earlier about how they've kind of been in track meets lately um, to some extent, and kind of looking at where they're ranked defensively, uh, and the fact that Giannis was going to be on one of these teams. Again, I don't go into this preemptively saying let me get this many people on the all defense teams or the all-star team or anything necessarily just because of record, but does it become a tiebreaker at times? Do you look at it a little bit to try to gauge, like, does this team deserve two guys? I think holiday has a fantastic case, but it basically came down to like, okay, do I need two bucks on the all defensive team when this team is a little bit better than a middle of the road defensive team this year, or does it make more sense to have somebody representing Toronto? Um, Given, I mean, just like on the list of teams that I don't want to have to score against, Boston's at the top of the list, but Toronto's not far after. And it would be a little bit, it would feel a little bit weird to not have any Raptors on the list. I thought about Siakam as a second team forward. It just, Did you? It's, it's not quite, it's not I couldn't quite, quite there. Get there. And yeah. Nobi would have been the best candidate had he played enough games because that dude is a, yes. is a beast defensively. I don't, Fred yeah. Van Vleet's just one of those guys, every second he's on the floor. Every move he makes, every half slide, every little lunge, every wink, every head fake, every little thing he does on both ends of the floor is helping you win. And and the guy, look, he's a little undersized, but he's he's got that Kyle Lowry like, come at me, go ahead, come at me. He's got quick hands, he gets a lot of steals, he's always in the right position. I got no problem with him as a second guard. I am undecided on the second guard, but he's on my list. Who else you got? Drew Holiday. I, well, let me, Drew Holiday. I'm a no on this year. I don't think I. I'm not. I'm not a hard no. He's on my list too. I just don't think he's been quite the same this year. Yeah. So, so Van Vliet. I'll say one more thing about him. I mean, when you talk about just like how every action that he's involved in, I think my friend William Liu tweeted out the other day. He he, he spliced together a clip from the other day, and he was like, Fred Van Vliet was responsible for forcing 11 turnovers the other day. And you just watch it. And some of them are like deflections. And some of them are ones where, uh, you know, it's a turnover. And then he knocks the ball to stop a fast break. And then it creates another turnover going the other way. But there's so many plays like that that don't, you know, we think about in football, you've got interceptions where it's like it's an interception. Everybody knows who got it and who caught it. But you've got so many plays in the NBA that like are someone knocking a ball away. And, and so it's not a, just a clear change of possession responsible tied to that person because he knocks it to a teammate that then recovers the ball. But looking at a clip like that, there's just so many games where Van Vliet does that. I think he leads the league in deflections per game, despite the fact that he's kind of in a pint sized body, relatively speaking. And then it's not easy to do that. So, uh, so I, I feel good about that pick there. And like I said, I thought about it more and was like, I feel like the Raptors kind of deserve to have somebody just, based on how good they've been defensively as well. I was going to say, after a slow start, for the first 20 games of the season, we all profiled the Raptors as like bad half-court offense, elite half-court defense, 500-ish team. 
first half, first 20 games of the season, they were like bottom 10 in defense. It was like, what the hell is going on here? They've been top five or six for like the last 30 or 40 games and looking very much like the what the hell is this kind of defense that we I don't want to be. I don't want to play them if I'm if I'm gearing up for the playoffs. I mean, I think they flashed a stat during their game yesterday, which they lost, but that they of the teams in the East against the other top four teams in the East, I think going into yesterday, at least they had the best record of anybody in the East against the rest of the top of the East. So I don't like between that and their length, uh, I'm not looking forward to playing them. I just, and, and, and Nick nurse, I'm, I'm really not looking forward to having a game plan against them. If having we to play somehow them. get Boston Toronto in the first round, we Ooh, might have some again? games that end in under a hundred. We might have some like 95, 91 old school blood, blood in the gardens. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. 78 to 75 games. Um, so, I, this is where I was kind of the, the other choice that I had where I wasn't sure what I want to do. Because to recap you on who I have so far, Van Vliet, Thibel, Bam, and Robert Williams uh, were the, the four I had on my second team. So I didn't know what the hell to do with this last spot for a couple reasons. One, and you raised one, which I did not do this, but I'm, I've always been a stickler for like, to some extent, games played. Um, I don't know where that line is this year just because it's been such a weird year with COVID. So you probably persuaded me enough to at least reconsider the idea of Draymond. You're right. A guy that hands down would have won the award at the rate he was playing at before he had a pretty serious injury was out. Um, so I, I'm, I may need to rethink that. But up until now, what I had penciled in, I had two things. And this, again, goes back to like, I probably need to look at the ballot closely to figure out who's even eligible or how this works. I have like a mashup here between Evan Mobley and Herb Jones. And I feel like it's probably a little early to have Herb Jones there in part because of the role that Mobley was kind of asked to play um, with that team, a team that nobody saw coming. But also I think about Herb Jones and I'm like, well, He's playing on a team that's not much defensively at all. And, you know, but also the other thing that comes into play, again, looking at the ballot, would I even be allowed to vote Mobley in here, um, given that he could be considered a power forward center? Um, if it's just forwards and they don't specify what type of forward you have to be, then maybe he's allowed to be voted there. Herb Jones strikes me as, you know, he's obviously a wing. Uh, and so I think I could probably vote him in there more safely. But again, considering him there versus somebody like Draymond, who, like you said, when he's been healthy and when he's been able to play, which will be more than half the games in a weird COVID year, I think you could also very clearly make the argument that he deserves to be there. But I, I've loved watching both of them defend. I do think Mobley, obviously, he's been hurt now, too, and is probably going to miss the rest of this regular season. Um, the numbers defensively in Cleveland came down quite a bit when Jared Allen got hurt. Um, several weeks ago, and they were starting to slide defensively. Um, so there, there, there are different considerations to be made there. I Those are people that I was considering in that forward spot. Um, I was pretty firm about considering them. Like you said, Draymond is someone that, that needs to be considered too. Uh, I'm not sure where to go with that last spot, but those are kind of the names I was considering for the last forward spot. Well, you just ruined my day, Chris. You just Why? ruined my day. Because I have one guard spot open. 
and one Herbert Jones was on my short list of candidates for that spot. I just thought, you know, if Jason Tatum's eligible at guard and forward and Jimmy Butler's eligible at guard and forward, why the hell would Herb Jones not be eligible at both positions? And then I I checked. Herbert Jones is eligible at forward only. I can't put him at guard. It's illegal by the powers that be at Ernst & Young and the NBA League office. Have they have him listed as a power forward, I think, on basketball reference. I mean, so it's... He's just a Herb Jones, man. That's all he's <laughs> everywhere, all at once. He's a Herb Jones. List him at guard. List him at center. List him somewhere where I have a better shot at putting him on the ballot. Especially when people with his similar dimensions or positional flexibility have the leeway to be listed at both guard and forward. Herbert Jones... That dude's maybe, a baller. He's just so maybe, good. Maybe because of rookie hazing is stuck That's at forward sad. only. So I got to scratch him off because I got Giannis and Draymond as my second team forwards. I, right I now. absolutely hate that he's like that. I, I really, I mean, I, I'm sure enough people, I'm sure you yourself have vented. I'm sure we vented together about the positional designations and kind of how and when they make sense or when they don't, or when they're kind of like, obviously with the, with the first team, uh, just all NBA and stuff like the idea that, Jokic and Embiid can both be voted there as forwards if we need to. It's like it. it and my I, I just kind of wish. And there... my boy, not on Herb, is stuck at forward. Exactly. I don't. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand. I don't get that. I don't like it. I mean, I'd love to just you know, for him. He. You talked about the guys that just are kind of everywhere. We talked earlier about Thibel and how he blocks so many of these three pointers that go the other way. Herb does a lot of that. I mean, he's a guy that just is is a complete pest. Again, a guy that plays with a team that can score pretty well but doesn't play much defense is a guy that's a rookie. So both the guys I was considering there, if I don't take Draymond, are both rookies, which is relatively – basically never happens. I think the last time a rookie was taken for um, all defense was Tim Duncan. And by so the way, they are legit. Now, I have Mobley just to – he's on my long list, but I can't quite get there for one of these spots. Herbert would have been on my short list for this last guard spot had the NBA not prohibited me from doing that. Dorian mm. Finney-Smith also, by the way, I just looked it up, listed it forward only, um, unfortunately for him. Uh, normally when you get those rookies, they look good on defense, they make plays. You start to dig into the numbers and you're like, oh my God, this is a little uglier than I thought. An example yeah. of that this season is Davion Mitchell, who looks like a very good defensive player, does some very good things defensively. The numbers, maybe just general association with the Kings organization is dragging him down, but his advanced <laughs> numbers across the board are not are not good. Mobley and Herb Jones across the board look like really good defenders, and that's really unusual for rookies to pass that kind of test. Yeah, it doesn't happen much. I mean, can't say enough about Mobley and and you know, like I said, the the task that he's kind of given. Um, as far as the zone that they they roll out occasionally with Cleveland, we talked earlier about Jaron Jackson and how elite a defender he is with the foul trouble. Um, Evan Mobley does not have that issue at all. Um, just someone that is incredibly, incredibly controlled for a position that generally that's not something you see out of rookies. Um, just the athleticism, but also the know-how. I was watching some videos on, on YouTube and someone was pointing out that Herb Jones um, – even just his footwork and stuff like that. And the idea that when he's going to, um, when he's looking to contest, like just making a point to step out of the restricted area, step into the restricted area when he does it, um, 
to make sure that, you know, if he's going to try to take a charge or anything like that, he knows exactly where he is. Just super aware, but just quick hands, doesn't give up on plays, doesn't get beat much when he does get beat, has the length from behind to be able to impact the shot or just take the ball out of someone's hands. It's it's a fun group of guys to consider for for this. And, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I, it's a real frustration for me. Uh, this is the first time I'm voting, but it's a real frustration for me to see that certain guys are kind of going to get, you know, be a victim of the numbers or, or a victim of what they're designated as uh, with regards to certain positions when other guys won't have that or will have the flexibility to move them into different Chris, spots. But Chris, when I'm watching a Pelicans game and it's late at night, I'm starting to get a little tired. I can see, I can see bedtime coming or beer time coming or relaxed time coming. It's getting a little late. I zone out for a few seconds during a Pelicans game. I feel like Herb Jones's arm is going to reach out of my laptop and slap me across the face <laughs> to start paying closer attention because his arms are everywhere all the time. Yeah. But I can't vote him a guard. I'd have to kick Draymond off, and I don't want to. He'll do make that. a lot of teams in the future, if, assuming he stays healthy. But I don't like that justification when someone legitimately may deserve to make the team. So, so I'll give you some uh, other names, other guard names, rapid fire. See if you considered any of them. Maybe you can help me out. Dejounte sure. Murray. We already talked about Fred Van Vliet, Pat Beverly, Derek yes. White we talked about, Jimmy Butler, ineligible at guard and forward, and I think I think might be the most versatile defender on the best defensive team in the league. I think Jason Tatum is a sneaky candidate for an all-defensive team. He is, by the, by the numbers, the advanced numbers love Jason Tatum. I think when he's locked in, He's as good as any wing defender almost in the entire league. It's just hard to be locked in when you're also one of the best offensive players in the league. I don't know yeah. what to do with that spot. Uh, did I say Pat Beverly? If I didn't say Pat Beverly, Pat you Beverly. Did. You um, did, and he was one. I, think about the turnaround that that team has made. Bottom of the league defensively last year. I think they're maybe not solidly, but they're they're either in or right around the top 10 defensively this year. I think you know he's not alone in what he's doing over there, but I, I think a huge influence – of that defense improving is him. So, yeah, he's someone I consider, too. So, anyway, to review, my team's in pencil. Smart, first team, Smart, Thibel, Jaron Jackson Jr., Bam, Gobert. Second team, Bridges, question mark, Giannis, Draymond, Time Lord. What are your teams? Give it. Give us rapid fire. So, I had Smart, Bridges, Giannis, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Gobert for my first team. And again, this is not something I finalized necessarily, but I feel pretty good about my first team. Um, my second team is Van Vliet, Thibel, question mark. You know, I've been flirting with with Mobley and, and Herb Jones, but really need to consider Draymond, even with the games missed. Uh, and then in my fourth spot was, was Bam and then Robert Williams for my center in the second team. But I considered a lot of these names you talked about. Jared Allen was one, Beverly. I did consider Drew a little bit, Derek White. I'm glad you mentioned Embiid because he was absolutely someone that I thought about and kind of wondering why I haven't heard more about. But, yeah, other names that would have been fun, like you mentioned, Peyton uh -huh. was one that I – Thought about Caruso as someone that had he stayed. You know healthy. what? I should have mentioned. I should have mentioned Caruso for it. Look, I can hear the Bulls fans saying, "I think I think he's played two fewer games than Draymond Green." So, like, if I'm putting Draymond, why not Caruso? It's a fair. It's a fair question. I've got to consider Caruso. He doesn't have the same historical heft as as Draymond Green, but he was getting into the defensive player of the year conversation even as a reserve. I have to. I guess I need to consider him a little more strongly. I, I mean that team. You know, 
as I was saying before, I mean, they they were starting to look like more. I mean, how can you not be a contender if you're in the number one spot in your conference for more than half the season, which I think they were. Um, but at a certain point, you know, he missed so much time and their defense just fell apart. It's still really not all the way back. Just Lonzo has not been there. Um, but I mean, that that team looked like a legitimate threat when he was playing, when he and Lonzo were playing and just even when they had deficits, I remember, you know, one game early in the season before Boston figured themselves out, figured itself out. Um, you know, just they, they had so many comebacks that were kind of spearheaded by just Caruso and Lonzo Ball wreaking havoc and, um, you know, and, and Caruso being everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, he's someone that I would have considered. I, I think he's probably going to be the fact that I didn't even have Draymond on my initial list, at least I think tells you that, like I said, I'm probably a little bit too much of a stickler on games missed, but uh, Caruso missed a lot, a lot of time. And you saw the Bulls basically change as a team completely when, when that happened, just like you did with the war- with the Warriors when Draymond missed time and um, like any team that misses a, a star defender like that. The last name that we should mention, and I do not want to get into the radioactive, toxic, oftentimes <laughs> stupid debate about it. I'm just going to say he's not on my list of candidates. Let me make that clear. I do think when the numbers, all of them, are screaming out, y'all are missing something about this guy's defense. Look harder. Look deeper. When all the numbers are screaming that out, I think it behooves us to at least look and reconsider. And that's Nikola Jokic. The, by the I mean, by the numbers, these advanced stats, I don't know what the hell they're catching. I think it's his smarts, his positioning, his hands, his steals, his rebounding, whatever. They, they are screaming out, this guy is an elite defender. Let me be clear. I don't buy that. And I don't buy it in particular for, for some problematic playoff series that would be problematic for him as they would be for other big men. He doesn't protect the rim in a traditional way. Like, he, he makes business decisions. He doesn't jump sometimes. But on the flip side, not jumping is also part of what he does well defensively. He doesn't jump out of position all the time. And sometimes kind of spooks guys into passing when they should probably just shoot. So the I'm just – all I'm saying is this. Nikola Jokic is – the numbers in my eye test combined tell me – at the very least, this guy is now an above-average defensive player. Yes, yes. I don't think he's as good as the numbers, which paint him to be like Rudy Gobert or Bill Russell. I think that's crazy. I think the numbers are wrong. I also don't think that he's this slow-footed lout. Is lout even a word? I don't know. This slow-footed ogre who's <laughs> I think helpless. it's louse, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I just made up a word. It's this slow-footed <laughs> ogre who can't do anything defensively because he can't jump and his feet are too slow. That's outdated. I don't quite know what he is. I don't think he's at the level of those numbers. I had to, but I don't and I but I think the numbers I went from he's bad to he's average. I think he's above I think he's an above average NBA defender. I can't go any further than that. I just don't know what to do when all these numbers are like he's the second best defender by this measure, the third best I'm like okay, I, right, I, right. I don't know what the hell's going on, but something's going on. I don't want to give too much air to it, but yeah, I think I think Nick Wright today was no, was talking about no, no, see, no, move right along, move right. I along. won't I won't get all the way into what he said, but just the idea that Jokic in the MVP race that that's the that's part of the question here is that we do have all these numbers at our fingertips and that was what i was saying earlier about Embiid is that 
if I had to make a guess just watching the games, which we all do a lot of, watch the two of them, a lot of them, because they, they are so great to watch, that his his defensive play, I would more quickly assume that like he had Jokic's advanced defensive numbers. But some of it is what you just said. The athleticism looks different. Um, oh, when Embiid rev when Embiid revs it up when, oh he, my sees God. A, when he sees a chase down block opportunity or a weak side rotation and he and he wants to go get it, you're like, oh my God, that is. There's more aggression oh. in that one play than all like at a whole Jokic game seemingly. But that's what I think. That's the challenge is that the numbers are telling you that there's something there. I don't know what it is. Maybe someday we'll figure out exactly what it is. But Jokic is not just a struggle bucket of a defender. I mean, he, he just isn't. And uh, now I'm making up phrases. But anyway, the other ahead. the other thing you mentioned <laughs> before about when we're talking about Embiid's narrative for MVP, it doesn't need. I hate the word narrative. He doesn't need a narrative. When we're talking about Embiid's MVP season, was the idea that he propped them up and kept them afloat as they dealt with the Simmons drama. Hundred percent true. I think they were the number one seed at the trade deadline. It's ridiculous. They got a complete zero out of a three-time All Stars roster slot. I don't know why that's more enticing than Jokic doing the same thing with Jamal Murray out the entire season and Michael Porter Jr. out basically the entire season and not playing well when he did play, except that injuries happen all the time. We're used to it. We knew Murray was likely going to miss all or most of the season going into the season. The Simmons thing is unusual, dramatic, tense, uncertain is he going to come back will he not come back is it hovering over the team he shows up and practices with the iphone in his pocket and gets kicked out of practice is he seeing is he is he is he going to get fined is he not going to get fined it's dramatic it's unusual and i do think the drama can royal a team they have to answer questions about it every day and for it to have a stabilizing force like that like Embiid has been is hugely valuable and I, I guess injuries are just sort of expected. They're not dramatic. You're not asked about them every day. It, it is different. But it's not as if the Nuggets are over there, la-di-da, everything's right. great, and, and Jokic is thriving amid this ecosystem. Like they, I was no. watching a game last night against the Lakers. They were they, – I think it was the fourth quarter. They had Austin Rivers. I'm going by the top of my head. Austin Rivers, Bones Highland, Nikola Jokic, Devon Reed – and Monte Morris, and it's like yeah. it doesn't matter. The guy, the guy, the guy's just carrying them. You know, thirty-eight, fifteen, it's and not seven. Not a championship lineup necessarily. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's no. You're right. It, it's 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 a very good point that I think. Um, you know, I've I've heard some fans that that um have popular podcasts with the Sixers and everything. Um, Spike Eskin, you know, different people, basically say the narrative. Should you know narrative normally matters a little bit, it should matter more in this case. Uh, it just kind of feels like it should be Embiid's time, and I, I, I more or less think that's kind of what Embiid himself was getting at. Um, and, and maybe people are of the opinion that you need to have a more, more overwhelming case to take it a second straight year. And if that's your argument, fine, I don't think I agree with that necessarily, but if that's your argument, so be it. But that's your the point that you just made is, is maybe the best one is that, um maybe the Simmons thing was more dramatic, but I, I, I don't like you have two other max guys there and Denver and they're both out. Uh, and that's well, like, not just a small thing. And it's I just the way they replace guys is, is kind of nuts, but Embiid, or I'm sorry. Uh, Jokic is a, 
huge reason why they can do that because he's just hitting guys the way he needs to with passes and he's clearly doing enough defensively to, to kind of hold things up. They found some bits and pieces that can work behind him with uh, Cousins. Cousins has been a nice fit for them, a really nice fit to prop up their bench. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a good argument to be made that that Embiid is dealing with more from what he doesn't have, certainly once you get Harden back, uh, because Jokic has been playing shorthanded all year in a way that even Embiid maybe wasn't. I think who this actually hurts, and I think who it should hurt a little bit in the MVP race is Giannis, not yeah. Embiid and not Jokic. Because I do think this is a weird year where statistically Jokic is a little ahead of the other two, but in some sense they're just head and shoulders above everybody else in the league, those three. I do think what Embiid and Jokic have done has some sort of amorphous quote-unquote value stabilizing their franchises, keeping them elite or borderline elite. Whereas Giannis is doing what he always does for a team that really has not faced all that much adversity, just won the championship. It's it's in it's in wake me till the playoffs mode. I, I think that's I think that maybe more than anything else why Giannis is gonna finish third. I don't know if he's gonna finish third on my ballot. He made a push last last week we had the whole wait a second, is he actually the MVP? I do think that that's why most valuable player is fun, that word valuable right in the middle. Value can mean different teams within different team contexts, and the team contexts in Philadelphia and Denver have been very different this year. It'll be maybe a dumb question. Hopefully you don't see it as that. But, I I, I mean, you probably have to strip some of the context from just the triple-double conversation that was happening that year. Do you think – does this have just a three-man notion of it? Does it feel at all like, like when we had Russ Harden – and Kawhi, I know you went with Kawhi that year, who I think most people just kind of were like, he's going to finish third. I'm wondering how many people are going to vote Giannis second here, or is it such a clear one-two for other people that they're just going to vote Embiid and Jokic there? But I'm wondering, like, it, it's it's not weird to me that it feels like he's not going to have much of a shot, but it is weird that, like, if if one big game that everybody watches against the Nets can get so much attention – there is a part of me that wonders, like, is there enough of an opening for him to still win it, despite the fact that I think the conversation is kind of still more about the other two guys. And that way, it kind of feels a little bit like the the year that Russ won over Harden and that Kawhi was in the race. It should it should be open. It should be open for Giannis. The crazy thing about that race was LeBron finished fourth, and it was like an afterthought. That I think he finished fourth. Kawhi yeah. may have finished fourth. I think LeBron finished fourth that year. And I remember putting these names on the belt and being like, this dude's finishing fourth. Like, that doesn't feel that doesn't what a feel weird right year to me. Could you have imagined LeBron, like, absent the, the the standings, obviously? I mean, which, again, it's asking you to ignore a huge part of the context. LeBron having these numbers. Like, That's ridiculous. Not finishing in the top 10 or where. Like, I don't know that he's going to. I don't think that he will. And it's like, this man is going to. I think he still needs to play another game or two to technically qualify for the scoring crown, but he'll be the, the oldest player games. in history. To win the scoring crown, he's still assisting, he's still rebounding. I mean, the the scoring run he went on in the last, as we talk about the Celtics and the Raptors and their numbers over the last forty. Like, look at LeBron's, just the the box scores and the you know, it's it's nuts to look at how much the man has scored. But that it, a little bit sad uh, in some ways, just to think that he could put up these sorts of numbers and that he will not even sniff a top five, probably even a top seven finish. He can't. 
I was sad last night watching Anthony Davis play on one foot against the, and limp every time he landed against the yeah. Nuggets for a team that has no chance to go anywhere. I'm almost glad they lost that game, so maybe they can shut Anthony Davis down. I will say this before we go. I'm predicting an Anthony Davis vengeance season next season. The discourse on Anthony Davis has reached a new, like a new, he's he's like overrated and this and that. And he's never going to be healthy. I think Anthony Davis, if he's healthy next year, is going to come back and have a crazy season. All right, Chris Herring, what can we look out for you uh, for, for this week? Anything you want to hype up other than your New York Times bestselling book? <laughs> no, I, I've got, I, I do my regular appearances on open floor at Sports Illustrated and I, we just launched a newsletter uh, called The Playmaker at SI that I uh, spearhead every Tuesday that will be out tomorrow and every other Tuesday. So that's about it. But uh, but I appreciate you giving me the, the chance to talk with you. As always, it's good to catch up with you. And, uh, and yeah, thank you. Newsletters are the new – newsletters are the podcasts. Newsletters are to 2022 what podcasts were to 2016. Chris Herring – Thank you for joining us. Your insight is second to none. I look forward to seeing you down the road, my friend. Stay safe. You too, buddy. I'll see you soon. Thank you. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group. And leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.